0: This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of practical shepherding. <clears throat> and I'm joined with Jim Sebastio, as always, and we're going to get right into topic in just a moment. Before I do that, I want to direct you to practicalshepherding.com. You can access all of our resources there. You can give on the donate page there if you want to give a financial gift. You can also go to iTunes and some of the other places you listen to podcasts and leave reviews. We check those out. We're grateful for any feedback that you give us. <clears throat> including the feedback you give us on social media, which we received also this week. And we're trying to shape some of the conversations we have today, especially around things that people are asking us to, to talk about. So that's what we're going to do today. The topic today, Jim, we want to jump right in, as we always do, is the, the topic of pastors who we, we refer to it as the fishbowl. We, we fa- Pastors live in a fishbowl. In other words, pastors and their families even are constantly watched Mm-hmm. Constantly evaluated by the church, by the church, by I mean by the community too, but I think specifically the church. Most all pastors, in some way or another, feel the pressure of people watching them, and not just watching for the sake of making observations. They they are being evaluated. They're in, mm-hmm. many of them, many pastors. Their entire livelihood rests in this one mm-hmm. local church. I talked to several guys in the last few weeks who are full time pastors. That's their full, so, sole income. They live in the parsonage next to the church, and it's where their family all goes to... Like, they're all in. And so when something happens, uh, everything in their life gets affected by that. Mm-hmm. So that's what we want to talk about. How do we? Man- how does a pastor maneuver through the pressure, that the unique pressure that really comes from knowing you're being evaluated? And ultimately, I think the goal we want to talk about is how does a pastor, despite that's the scenario... How does he minister in freedom? You know, how, how does he minister not wor- you know, being driven by what people think as they watch, but him truly being faithful to what God calls him to? So why
1: don't you set us up just from a, a biblical perspective first before we dive into it? Sure, Brian. I'll try to do that. There, I think there is some tension here that we need to recognize, uh, and that is that there is a proper sense in which a congregation certainly is going to evaluate a man who aspires to the work of, a minis- of the ministry, And there's a righteous sense in which a well-instructed congregation is going to look at the standards of qualification and continue, in some sense, righteously to evaluate a man. If a man proves that in the honest evaluation of the congregation that he really wasn't apt to teach or that he has a wandering eye, he's no longer a a one-woman kind of man, or he's not uh, having his children... Uh, in submission with all dignity or, or something like that now again there's that's going to be a lot of questions are going to come at different stages of life and, but whatever but there is I just simply want to say that there is a righteous sense uh, of that and a righteous expectation that our lives are public lives there is also though and this is the question I think really we want to try to get at today is that there can be for some a fear and anxiety That knowing that you may have those in the congregation that oppose you, that they are looking for any flaw, they are going to try to manipulate any uh, faux pas in any sermon, uh, any sermon that is not up to standard, uh, that they are going to use it and weaponize it, you at least have that fear uh, that you can never fail, you can never be yourself, you can never be human, you can never be less than excellent uh, at all times. And, and as you mentioned, Brian, that that is tied into uh, not only our sense of calling, but our but our livelihood, and it, and it threatens our families and, and our homes and, and all of the rest. Now, the Apostle Paul had and we're going I'm gonna just deal with one part of this now, and deal with a second part of this later on when we try okay. to give some answers. Okay, but Paul had. You uh, see, particularly in the letters to the Corinthians, he, he was very aware of what they thought of him. And the reason we know that is because he's, he's autobiographical. Uh, and he's defending that. himself. He, yeah, he is going to defend himself. Um, he's also going to talk about what gave him freedom. Yep. But he was also... But he was very aware that they were judging him, that they were criticizing him. Mm-hmm. He was very aware that they were listening to people uh, who were trying to undermine his ministry. Mm. And, And Brian, this is one of the greatest hardships that pastors can have, is that you can live your life with integrity for months or years before a congregation you can seemingly win the affection of the congregation. And yet one person leveling a criticism can change can change that person's mind and turn them against you. Yep. Uh, almost instantly, yeah, somebody right. you thought was a friend, somebody you thought was loyal, somebody you thought was uh, with you and who would have your back uh, is able to very quickly be turned in some cases after years or decades of ministry. And that's simply the reality sometimes we have to deal with. So here's the Apostle Paul himself uh, being uh, accused, uh, being vilified, uh, recognizing that his life is an open book before the congregation, and that some are are reading that with uh, less than charitable motivations. Mm -hmm. But but the point I'm trying to make is that Paul was not unaware of that. Uh, He heard it. He knew it. Uh, he and he dealt with it. He didn't and, ignore it. Right. He didn't address. He didn't simply ignore it. Right. right. He addressed it. Yeah. Right.
0: That's good. Let's. I, wa- I think first place I want to go with this is the idea of perception versus reality. So I think right. that you're right. That one person exists probably in every church. Sure. And that's reality. They're really right. there. That's why every pastor literally deals with this to one way yeah. or another.
1: <laughs> the bigger your church, the more there, the more oh, of but, them. There, potential to be, that right. those people are there.
0: At the same time. Uh, we've watched this both, and I think battled it too. Our own insecurities as a pastor yeah, that's right. makes us perceive somebody's that way, but Correct. maybe they're not. So let's let's kind of first address that. What? How does a pastor begin to evaluate, is this person really that person, or do I have insecurities that's making me kind of
1: impose that on them? Yeah, and I think, Brian, you, uh, well, we both know both types of pastors. I think we right. know those who are... Uh, Very self-critical. They are very insecure uh, in regard to their gifts, very insecure in regard to uh, their ability to exercise any kind of um, intervention in the lives of others. Uh, They're constantly... Uh, criticizing themselves and and making little of themselves and some of them do that even publicly you know they'll stand up and preach i know i'm not a really good preacher whatever they they do and 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 there again that may be a passive aggressive thing and uh, but that they're trying to get somebody to say no no you really are right um but others really do feel a a deep sense of not just of insufficiency not just who is able to do this Uh, not just a sense of that I am human and I am weak and and Mm -hmm. my task is overwhelming. I think everybody ought to feel that to some degree. Sure, yeah. Uh, But there are some who just due to the way that they're put together or perhaps due to scars of the past or what happened in the previous congregation and having so many go against them, uh, that any kind of criticism, any kind of helpful uh, statement that, you know, Pastor, I think you know, it would do us uh, well if you gave it gave shorter sermons or if you gave another illustration and rather than being that viewed as you know i I will pray about that that's helpful it's devastating and it creates almost a paranoia he heard i hate your preaching right yeah what was said and what was heard right And, and and so again we just have to recognize that's part of our humanity yeah and we could get into how you how you evaluate that, or how you get some help with that. But Brian, I think we just want to just right now yeah. uh, acknowledge that that's the case. So I want to I want to share that in
0: the last month, let's say as we're recording this, I have at least five pastors I'm thinking of right now, mm-hmm. who are in their forties, okay, fifteen to twenty plus years of ministry under their belt, and they all of a sudden end up in the ER. Mm with panic attacks mm-hmm. for the first time in their whole life. They've mm. never had them before. Mm. And they're in their 40s, and it hits them. They, and then they're coming to, to us trying to figure out what, what in the world's happening, right? And what's interesting is I hear their stories. They all have this just slow, accumulated anxiety that's building. And a lot of times it's coming from what we're talking about here. Yeah. The, this, this constant week in, week out for years, even a decade or two of this pressure and it just builds to where it has their really destructive effect on their humanity. So I just want to first acknowledge that because I think there's, I'm sure there's other pastors listening to this right now. who are like, man, he's describing me too. And so I I think I want to connect this topic to the way that like anxiety and fear and other things show up later in somebody's ministry when they think this shouldn't bother me as much as it, I mean, it just bothers me more than it did, you know, ten years ago. Why? Why is that? So, where I want to go next, Jim, before we talk about maybe how to how do we minister in freedom, I eventually right. want to get there. You know, how does a pastor evaluate? Uh, I am really functioning out of fear. You know, I, I'm really this this fishbowl, this pressure I feel of being constantly evaluated. I am I'm feeling just a lot of fear, and I'm finding myself making decisions in my sermons, making decisions as a church. Yep. Around who I'm going to upset and who I'm right, not. Right, uh, right, so, uh, so, but we can't address uh, a problem if we're not aware of it. So, yeah. how would, you, how do you think we should, uh, how a
1: pastor should learn how to try to evaluate how much he's maybe doing that and doesn't realize it? Well, I think you articulated it, Brian. I think you, and just even how you set that up. So, let's say you're in your study and you're and you're preaching, and there comes a point of application that you know will. Uh, Or could be certainly troublesome uh, if if, if I say it the way I believe the text says it, that if I'm just honest to the text, uh, that there's going to be somebody who's going to feel um, either that – or you're you're afraid of their response. They're going to be offended. They're going to be hurt. You're you're touching one of their sacred cows. Yep um you know whatever whatever it might be a uh, left right uh, political issue uh, uh, some societal issue or decision in um, the church right, right. So, yeah. uh, you know so uh, yeah i i don't need to give examples i'm just talking about the but you recognize in there that you you're starting to think and, and the pit in your stomach starts to to grow where you realize that if i get up in the pulpit and if i say this So and so is going to be all over my case, and I just can't deal with that. Yeah. And so, what you do is you soft pedal or you alter, you decide to preach something else, or you hope for that they're going to be gone or something like that. And you realize that, you know, rather than, we can get into this later on, preaching in the sight of God in Christ. Uh, rather than recognizing that I'm going to give an account to image Judges, the living and the dead, that I am am so fearful of what somebody's going to say about what I'm going to say, uh, that they're going to be offended, they're going to leave, they're going to cause trouble, that it alters what I'm going to preach.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I want to just take a minute and play devil's advocate a moment, go to the other side, because I see the flip side of this too. A guy goes in, to like a classic revitalization context, right. where he needs to be slow and patient, sure. And he goes in; he doesn't have a love for the people yet, right? So I watch. So I've watched guys like this go in and just railroad the place, right? So they don't care at all what right. people think. So I assume you would agree that flip side is yeah. also an unhealthy way to approach it, it, it this. It is
1: right, but we're. Ta- I think you know what we're trying to get at here. Those is 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 somebody who has fear and anxiety. The other person just needs to have wisdom and gentleness. There's a difference between saying I'm going to wait for a more opportune time. I have other things to say to you, but you're not able to handle it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the recognition, even as you know, the writer to the Hebrews says, you know, I, I have things to say, but you know, you're dull of hearing. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I want to say it. I'm going to say it later on, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but it, that and saying I can't say it. I can't say it. I won't say it. Not. Uh, there's a difference between saying, look, right now they're not able to handle that. And no, they're able to handle it, but they're a baby. Or yeah, they have right. unusual power uh, power in the church, or they have really mm-hmm. thin skin, and they're the one I can't upset. And I'm worried about what's going to happen if I upset them versus I don't want to crush them by choking them with a steak when right now they need milk. Yeah. I think those are two very different things.
0: Yeah, and I agree with everything you just said. I just want to highlight, right. as we're talking about this, this is not a call to just not care, right? Of course, about what people right, right, think, right, 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 yeah. But a, but a healthy yeah. version of that. So let's yeah. get into that. So then, how do we, how do we pastor in freedom, realizing we we need to care what people think to one degree, yeah, and we also don't need to let it control us, right? So finding that balance, Jim, does Paul give us any wisdom on how do we minister in a
1: freedom to do what God really ultimately has called us to do? Yeah. Well, I think Brian, you find it. Uh, uh, by the classic text is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. I want to note here that Paul says what he says here publicly. He says it to right. the church. Yeah, he's right. He, he's, yeah, he doesn't just say yeah. this in his heart. Right. He actually says this openly. Yeah. And that is, um, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, but he who judges me in the, is the Lord. One, one translation says, I care very little, however uh if i am judged by you now you ask the question now that's what he says. now you can ask the question how did he get there how did he get to the point where he said look i know what you're saying and i know what's happening and 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 i think there is there is some degree of hurt in, in his heart the more i love you the less i am loved yeah, you know yeah. um i'm zealous for you but but you, you're not you're not for me that sort of a thing so he He's open He's open to a degree about it, but this is because there is something of a hostile situation. There's not always a hostile situation. He doesn't write this way to any other church. Right. I was trying to think through, does he say this to anybody else like that? Uh, he certainly confronts things in other churches, but he doesn't. There's no other church that seems to have this kind of... Uh, of Suspicion about him, the way that the Corinthians, the Corinthians were unique in that way. But he seems. had, but he what, what he had to do is say again that this recognition and it's born of the truth. You're going to find it in 2 Timothy chapter four. Uh, I exhort you, um, you know, in light of the judgment day before God and the one who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, preach the word. And he brings that out in a context where he's going to say to to Timothy, you're going to have people in your church who are going to reject what you say and reject what you do. Mm -hmm. That you cannot have a faithful ministry without some casualty. There's going to be some damage, some collateral done, whatever you want to call it, done. As you're trying to do good to the souls of God's people, preach in a right sense. We talked about some of the sensitivity earlier, but I'm going to preach the word in season and out of season. People are rejecting sound doctrine, yet I'm commanded to preach sound doctrine. And again, am I preaching it well? You know, and all of the rest I have to try to get into and yeah, recognize right. that it's not just, well, I did what I was supposed to do. No, you did what you did terribly. You know, yeah. so there is you know, there, there's a reality. You may not be as gifted as you think you are, yep. and you may not be doing it as well as you think you're doing it. There's all of that that comes in. However, having said that, Paul wants Timothy to live in freedom. God has not given to us a spirit of fear. Um, uh, Paul pray asked the Ephesians to pray for him that and it's very fascinating the way he does this in Ephesians chapter 6 he says this is the apostle Paul saying this he says, I want you to pray for me that I would preach the gospel with boldness as I ought to. Mm-hmm. As there's a recognition he has, there, there not only that what ought to be preached, but there is a how it ought to be preached. Yeah. Yeah. And and part of that is the gift of the Spirit. I want you to I want you to pray for me. Paul doesn't just assume because he is sent by Christ and because he's an apostle that he's every time he steps into the pulpit, he's gonna have that power, he's gonna have that freedom, he's gonna have that boldness. He seems it seems to recognize that. That he is, as all of us ought to be, dependent. I'm going to. So my argument is, if he feels that we ought to feel that, and we ought to ask God's people. Listen, uh, there. Are, you may say sometimes, look, I, I have some Timothy-like qualities. You know, Timothy had an upset stomach. Uh, Timothy had a, uh, seemingly had some timidity. Mm-hmm. He is. He is addressed as a man who has some fears and some anxieties. And you say to the people, listen, I, when I stand up and I preach before you, I will confess that there are times I am far more worried about what you are going to think of me than what the Lord thinks of me. Mm-hmm. Would you pray for me? Mm-hmm. And that engages the hearts of the people. It, it, it is open. It's vulnerable. It and humanizes a, it, it them. It right? humanizes it yeah. yeah. right? But it's also saying, listen, I want to do good to you. Yeah. I, I really do. I know I, what I, my I task do, is. And I know what my yeah. task is. I know what my temptations are. And the Apostle Paul was able to say in Acts chapter 20 that I I am free from the blood of all men because I did not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And he goes on to say, I withheld nothing that was profitable. But that came uh, at a point of wrestling. Uh, it came for Paul having to say, like he's going to say, you know, you know, uh, to the Philippians, I have learned to be content. Mm-hmm. There are things that he learned, to, and, and that he's going to exhort Timothy to do, and that's as he's and he's going to say this to Corinthians as well. I preach in the sight of God in Christ. He said, that's the text where he says there, we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of truth, we preach in the sight of God in Christ. That's his liberation. I'm not gonna stand before you on the last day. You may be able to take my pulpit. You may be able to take my job. You may be able to take my home. Mm-hmm. And, and, but it, uh, I'm going to give. I'm not going to stand before you on the last day. I'm going to and function so, in a way knowing I'm going to stand I'm gonna, before yeah, Christ so on Yeah, so I last want, you, but you're able to say this publicly, mm. and and to say, listen, I I feel I feel this fear. You do not want a timid, fearful pastor, do you? And, yeah. and hopefully they're going to say, no, we don't. You want me to be able to? Do you want me to withhold anything that's profitable? No, we don't. So would you pray for me? Because there are times I confess that I I have in my preparation come to a point where I've been a little bit afraid to say some of what I think would be helpful to you. Would you pray for me? Yeah, that's good. And I think that that humanizes it. It it brings it all out in the open, and it brings the congregation. I mean, I realize somebody might hear that hostily, but I think that it ought to bring the congregation into saying, listen, part of the success of my ministry is your prayers. Um, I need you, and I want you on my side for your good and for God's glory. Right. I, I think that that's a way. And if you're not able to do that, then you may not be in a very healthy situation. I, th- I think you've painted the paradox really well. And I, I just as you're, but
0: as you're sharing about that, I am remembering people in my early years who literally came to me and pulled me aside and took my hand and looked me in the eyes and said, "Pastor, you are God's man for mm. this moment." Mm. Don't hold back, preach the word. Yeah, and most of those people left within two years, mad at something I preached yeah. or did in the church. <laughs> so I just I yeah. want to bring this kind of practical. Let's go back and forth a minute on. Yeah. So what does that look like? What is a pastor who's able to function out of the freedom that Christ gives him to do what he's called to do? That he's the one he really answers to. What, let's go back but what is what does that look like because I want to paint that because <clears throat> I do know guys who do not know how to love a congregation well yeah. and think that they're doing that and what they're doing is actually lacking a love for the congregation right
1: and that's really quick because and I was because I was actually going to go there Brian because part of this is love you know love that says you know I mean all so, of this is ultimately it's love for god's words love for God it's love for those that are in front of us. So what that means is, you know, the, he who withholds correction hates his son, you know, right? The, the, the kid may be saying, you don't love me, you know, and like, well, actually, I'm correcting you because I do love you. Yeah. And it's part of the nature of the word. We can't escape the offense of the word. We can't escape the offense of the, of the gospel. Whatever else we're trying to do, we have to recognize at some point this is going to cross our humanity, and it's going to confront our sin. Now, a ministry that is all confrontation, I think, is wrong. But a ministry with with no confrontation, a ministry that never says uh, that never has what Paul says it should have. So, uh, uh, Paul's statement about the scriptures: all scripture is given by inspiration; it's profitable for doctrine, for correction. For instruction and in righteousness, so it's given for you know it's going to rebuke, it's going to correct. I I left that out. So it's doctrine, rebuke, uh, or confrontation, correction, and in instruction and in righteousness. If I preach the Bible, those things are going to come out. They're sure, going to be, they're going to be doctrine that sometimes people hate, and they're not going to. They do not want to endure sound doctrine. There's going to be confrontation or or rebuke. You can't. The, if the word is a mirror, it's going to point out. It's not just going to tell us how pretty we are. It's going to show flaws.
0: That's true. But but pastors, every pastor has to know are are they a I am think, I afraid? Right. What I'm saying they, is, are they, a, are they a fighter or a runner when it comes right. to confrontation? Yeah. Right. So again, right. <laughs> so
1: one needs to hear. You need to be patient, but another needs to hear you cannot allow the fear of consequence to rule you. Yeah, that's right. If you're being the ru- if you're being governed by the principle of love, it's one thing. If you're being governed by the principle of fear, it's another. And you can lie to yourself, and this is a possible you could do and say, well, it's just love and actually what it is is fear. And so you need to pray, the Lord would help you and I think you need to have trusted confidants, your wife, Hopefully you have some fellow elders uh, that can come alongside and perhaps say something to you. Like, you know, there was a, there was a wonderful opportunity to deal with something in our congregational life. And you took a hard detour there. And I sensed it was not out of, uh, out of a a patient love that says I have other things to say to you. You're not able to handle it, but that you, you, you stood there, you weighed the consequences and you said, I'm not going to go there. So let's go there. <clears throat> let's go with some of these scenarios. <clears throat> so for
0: example, those of us who preach through books of the Bible, we can't right. avoid any of the passages. You shouldn't be able to avoid so any the passages. We shouldn't be able to avoid the passages. So let, let's give a scenario. Like Let's, let's think of a scenario that, that would be a real-life situation. So you're preaching through a, a book of the Bible. You come to an issue that's really clear. What's something that comes to your mind? That, like I think of... Uh, I remember early years in the ministry. I had, um, I had uh, people who were divorced in our congregation. Mm-hmm. I had people who um, who were uh, Sabbatarians, and mm-hmm. I was not. All right, and and I was and I was preaching the Gospel of Mark, and so you have Jesus who calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. He addresses mm-hmm. that issue. He addresses divorce. He addresses some of these other issues. And I I remember <clears throat> waiting to preach Mark because I did not want to deal with those issues and I think by the way that was a wise decision in my first year to not do that mm. <clears throat> but I remember when I did choose to do that that I was very aware of of me being potentially preaching things that were really going to stir the pot in in the church and <clears throat> that brought a legitimate fear I had to I had to battle through that so so it, it really can show up, especially if we're gonna preach through books and we're truly in integrity not avoid hard passages. Uh, we very that could be the time we publicly say things that really wrestle with people. What's another scenario you can imagine? Maybe a meeting or something or a conversation you're having with somebody else that could create that fear where you would maybe not say something you should.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that, that. Yeah. So somebody does something, um, and, and you recognize you—you you become aware of a pattern of sin, or perhaps somebody is publicly disruptive, and you realize that can't be ignored. And and you think to yourself, "All right, how do I how do I address this person effectively?" And I think this this whole another conversation, Brian. is this whole issue of faithfulness and effectiveness. Uh, the faithfulness part for me is, is always been the easier part and that I, I have not been I have generally not been afraid to to talk about things but sometimes I I what has brought about the hesitancy is how do I address that person effectively? I could go in with gangbusters and just say, "Hey, you know, just get out of here." You know, you know, you'd be a blessed subtraction or something like that. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going to do it. Gang- hey, I told him, he sinned. I told him he sinned. He didn't like it. He got out of here. Is that what I'm desiring, or am I desiring to win him? Am I desiring to speak in such a way that I gain his conscience? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that that's a whole that can be a whole different yeah. thing. It's how to do. You know, so you the hesitancy is not that I'm afraid to address the issue it's that how do I address this hopefully in a way that wins him yeah. i could address him faithfully and he gets mad and goes uh, you know that and sometimes again there's no other way around that uh, so again i think whether you're you you are when you are weighing those consequences with the tension of of truth and the tension of obedience to God because some of these things are things we're called to do. We're called to preach the word. We're called to give this. Uh, but we recognize and realize you gave some scenarios. I could give some scenarios. I mean, this is... I think today to address certain certain sins depending on your congregation but talking about homosexuality is different in a congregation in 2023 than it was in 1993 it's yeah, true there was a cultural consensus um, talking about marijuana or talking about drunkenness or talking about uh, things that numb the mind uh, is a different that's a different conversation now than it was and we, we do live we do live in a more lawless age uh, we do live in an age where we have lost christian consensus where we have lost uh, the ability to think to know that if i were if i address this i'm i am only going to be viewed as a hate-filled bigot and even among some people that are professing christians who feel the weight of, of the pressure of culture or who may have in their own families uh, people that are transitioning or people that are involved in in, in certain kind of sin and, and it's going to cost them to have a biblical conviction and, and you're going to wrestle with you know what you know uh, th- those kinds of fears i think that this <clears throat> this is important conversation especially what we've come out of the last
0: few years because all the covid stuff even the political you know, volatility <clears throat> pastors were confronted i think on a whole new level right. of having to think about <clears throat> excuse me what What others think of them uh, and their decisions they're going to make, and I think that's what one of the things that's unique about coming out of the last few years is. And I heard this quite a bit, and I dealt with it. You did too. Like people who've never given you trouble before, like people who've never been the complainers or anything. You actually had people coming to you and putting pressure on us to make certain decisions about these different things. So
1: And Brian, this may well get back to why is it that these men that you you've mentioned, the five men you mentioned that have had panic attacks or wound up in the ER, uh is it the is it the longevity of the of the pressure or is it that there have been there really have been peculiar trials that pastors have had to deal with, you know, the the well, you have to be an epidemiologist. You have to be a, a social justice expert. You yep. have to know everything about racial issues. You have to know everything about uh, voting for a certain guy and voting against another guy. Whatever whatever the case. may and, and rather than just saying, "Hey, look, I'm I'm just trying to preach the next text. I'm just trying to go through books yep. of the Bible. I'm trying to do what pastors have done for two thousand years." And all of a sudden now, because of certain voices in society, certain uh, prominent Christian voices who have influence over our people, mm-hmm. we're being told, no, this is you're no longer a faithful pastor if you just stick to the text. And we, I think we're going to get into this yeah, in another so podcast. It. But all of a sudden now, there's all this additional weight of what it means to please people, uh, things that you felt that you could say. I can remember, I could remember uh, in the early part of the twenty sixteen election, I, I, I gave some example about um, anxiety, and I said, "Well, you you talk about you know anxiety." I said, "What, what are our choices going to be in the next election? Donald Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton." Just thinking, everybody would be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, those are both terrible choices," you know. Just the, and then all of a sudden realizing that, "Oh no, I got a good number of my people yeah. who don't think that's so terrible." It's a good example, um, um, and, and that's why
0: I, I say that I think that. Um, the answer to your question you asked a minute ago is yes, it's the longevity, but it's also the I mean I'm convinced it's also the way it got just ramped up on steroids in the mm-hmm. last three or four years. So I want to wrap I want to wrap this episode but what uh, <clears throat> any final word on just encouragement yeah on helping a pastor to know how to function in freedom and how he knows he's in freedom functioning or not.
1: The two great bedrocks of our freedom are what Christ has done for us on the cross and the reality that we will stand before him on the last day and give an account. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is that freedom that comes from living in his presence, preaching in the sight of God in Christ. Now you preach for the people, but you also preach you preach for him. And when you recognize that ultimately it is the Lord who judges me, that's what Paul said, It's a, this is what helped him to say, it's a little thing of me. It's a small thing for me to be judged by you uh, or any human court. I don't even judge myself. He who judges me as the Lord. That can be said in a very arrogant way, but it can also be said in a way that really does grip your conscience. I'm Christ-free man. It is, it is for freedom that Christ has called me. Christ has not called me to live a life of bondage, but a life of boldness and freedom. That enables me, that freedom in Christ, enables me to die to myself and love others. It enables me to live sacrificially. It also enables me to recognize that at the end of the day, I'm not going to stand before my congregation. I'm not going to stand before the most hostile member. I'm not going to also stand before the one who's most pleased with everything that I do, but he who judges me is the Lord.
0: Yeah, that's a good word. I would I would say something similar this is my final word, and that's if we answer to Christ, we stand before Christ and answer to him for our ministry, then he is watching over our current ministry. I think the reason where we where we fear man too much in this process is we take our eyes that we we are, we become convinced the people who write the checks for the church control us. They're the ones mm-hmm. that I, they're in control of everything. But if yeah. they're not, that Jesus is right. So I would say the way you function in freedom and find this balance, you've got to have a level of faith that you function in, realizing we're. These people though they look like they're pulling the strings and they look like they're making the calls right. and could do some horrible things and hurt right. you that they're they're not on the throne. Right. They're not over all these things and I I found in my own life and certainly I want to encourage every pastor listening to this is you got to have faith that Christ truly is ruling over this. He's got good for you. He is watching. You are his under shepherd as he mm-hmm. is the chief shepherd. Surely he watches over us attentively and and doesn't let anything happen to us mm. that he that he doesn't control. So yeah. I think functioning in that allows us to have courage uh to to make hard decisions yeah. and quite frankly love people even when we want to just maybe railroad over people and, and mow them <laughs> over. So yeah. regardless regardless of what your tendency is. So Jim, we take a minute and just pray and ask ask God yeah. to help pastors find that balance.
1: Our well, Father in heaven, we we believe that you have Uh, Told us uh, in your word that you've not given to us a spirit of fear. And Lord, did you pray for those who find at times a crippling anxiety as they prepare, as they think about preaching, or as they think about having a meeting? Uh, Lord, help them to know uh, all that they need to know of your own heart and the sufficiency of your word and the help and aid, the very present help and aid of the Spirit of God. Lord, help them to know their congregation, and if they are shepherding sheep or watching over goats, um, help them, Lord, to be wise uh, in this, to know and to love those who are before them, but also to love and to fear you, uh, knowing that before you they will give an account. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.